You're listening to Let's Talk Cuyahoga, a podcast that explores county initiatives and pulls back the curtain to reveal the work and the people who are driving Cuyahoga County forward. This month, we asked the question, what is Cuyahoga County's role in helping re-entrants reach their goal of becoming restored citizens? I'm Dawn Calvini from the Communications Department, and joining me now to talk about our Office of Reentry and the importance of the work that they're doing is the Director of the Office of Reentry, Simeon Best. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much. And Dr. David Hussey from the Jack Joseph and Morton Mandel School of Applied Social Sciences at Case Western Reserve University. Glad to be here. Thank you. And that's a mouthful. So <laughs> I think for our purposes today, um, we should just start with the basics. And so what is reentry? Let's talk definitions. Sure. I think that's a really good place to start. Reentry, right? It's a broad term. And uh, depending on what context you use it in, it could mean different things. And so for the purposes of this conversation and the Cuyahoga County Office of Reentry, reentry is about reintegrating individuals um, back into society and back into the, our communities after incarceration. So those individuals who have paid their debt to, to society are coming back and they're reentering. And that process is a complex process, that transition. And so um, reentry is all about them coming back and in order to do reentry well and do it right, you need supportive services and, and uh, programs and resources that will really help them be successful in their transition. And what kind of a population are we talking about in Cuyahoga County, Dr. Hussey? So when, when you think about restored citizens, you think about a group that really has a tremendous array of needs. And that's why the Reentry Coalition is such a diverse and powerful collaboration because o- almost any type of need you think about, you'll find it within this restored citizen population. So at the top of the list are things like employment and housing, about 80% of people returning. Those are major issues for them. As you begin to drill down, you see education, uh, also very, very high. Uh, in some of our research, we found that only about f- about 43% of people returning did not have a high school diploma or a GED. You can imagine how that significantly impacts you when you begin to think about things like job, finances, money, those types of things. We also know from research that approximately half of the population have some sort of mental health issue and 16, 17% serious mental illness. Another half or more have substance abuse issues. So you begin to see this sort of complex composition of needs and characteristics that a reentry coalition must address and must attempt to help. So, Simeon, when we talk about the Office of Reentry, it seems like such a, uh, a broad um, category of things that you're, you're trying to cover. What is the mission of the office, and and how do you start to address those needs? Absolutely. So I would say, I'll start here by saying that the Cuyahoga County Office of Reentry, I believe, is Cuyahoga County's commitment to removing barriers and the stigma that individuals face after they leave and and return from incarceration. So um, the mission of the Cuyahoga County Office of Reentry is to strengthen a a network of community partners by coordinating innovative services and programs that assure quality opportunities for individuals once they return and so make that process successful for them. So that's our mission. That's what we're we're um, bound to. That's our goal. I will also say that, you know, 
we are, we act as a funder, a convener, and a collaborator in the reentry space. And so we are, we don't provide direct services, but we empower our community partners because we understand that no one organization can do it by themselves. But as organizations have strengths, we combine them together and we collaborate, and then we offer what we believe something that's going to be efficient and effective for those who are returning back to our societies. And you think about these broad challenges and, you know, if somebody's getting out maybe after two years or getting out after 20 years when things have changed just in our society significantly, um, it's so many different things that you need to address. What are the biggest challenges that you see um, for reentrance? I think um, some of the big challenges, you know, and, and maybe to address that, on the average, our restored citizens are coming in with about two and a half years, 2.4 okay. years of, of time in prison. And there's a significant range, as you point out, in terms of what that might be. And that certainly affects types of services, types of needs that they might have. I think one of the um, models that's been really most effective uh, through the Second Chance Act, which is government legislation to really improve outcomes mm -hmm. for people coming back from prison, is sort of a pre post model well where you do a lot of needs assessment you develop a transition plan pre-release and most importantly you develop a relationship then post-release you work that plan and you engage them with the services that were identified that are most important engagement and retention and services i think is one of the biggest barriers because it's it's difficult it's difficult for people coming back to know who to trust to trust systems again to feel that they're really going to have the, their best interest in mind and to navigate this array of complex sort of systems and needs that they're looking for. So I'd say engagement and retention in services coming off a strong transition plan is one of the important goals. And as Simeon mentioned, if there are a lot of barriers, which there are, it makes it very, very difficult for them to really sort of get involved in that process. Sure. And you know, it's the mission is great and, and all the possibilities. And I know there are a lot of services in Cuyahoga County, but part of it's identifying the people who can use these services. Do you rely on people to reach out to you or, or how do you find the folks who are really in need of the services that the Office of Reentry can provide? As an office, yes, we, we definitely... Um we, we have connection with various facilities, ODRC and other facilities in the area, um, where we give them what we call our reentry resource guide. And that shows them who's out there, what services are out there, what, are, what is available to them, and so that they can have that access to them. We are constantly working, even as an office right now, we have an RP that's going out um, requesting for an updated reentry resource guide. Because we want everyone to know what is out there, what's current, and um, where you can go and locate that. We're trying to expand our neighborhood reentry service centers as well to put them in additional places throughout the county. So we're trying to get the word out there. We're trying to stay in, connected with the, in connection with the facilities so that they are aware they have the resources that we're providing to the returning citizens. And Reentry Week is an annual week um, where you're just trying to raise awareness about the possibilities, right? right? What are the things um, that happen during Reentry Week or the, the people that you've encountered who've really found um, some success in, in the connections that they're making over the years? 
So I, I guess I'll start just saying that um, I'll say acknowledge that this month, April, is um, Second Chance Month, um, naturally throughout the United States. And so Cuyahoga County had designated the last week in April as reentry week. And so to your point, it raises the awareness about the barriers that still are out there for individuals. Also, we highlight the successes that people have had once they've come out. And so this week is full of just uh, wonderful events. We we're taking a holistic approach this year, just trying to reach the children, reach the families, so children of incarcerated parents, and reach the families, reaching juveniles. Um, the the theme for this year is restoring the returned, and so that's our focus. And so we have tons of events that just really focus on juvenile reentry, focus on family reunification, focusing on job and expungement fairs, and, and so all of that. So we try to just put that all in this one week, so that the community knows and those returning citizens know that they can come here and receive this help. And I think that's such a key point is um, having that support system uh, for a restored citizen to, you know, have the people around them who are going to help them find the services they need, make the right decisions, and just help them regain that sense of trust. Is that true? Yeah, I think that's really key. And, And I think when you think about supports, you think about two levels. You think about formal supports, and much of what Simeon is talking about is we're trying to put programs and services in place that can be easily identified, that people can be referred to, and that people can, we call them warm handoffs, <laughs> where you could really help people navigate the system, particularly if they're connected to somebody who's a reentry specialist, somebody they met pre-release, to help them be able to connect with those services. And then the informal supports, which are probably the most important, family, mm-hmm. friends, peers, relationships, those kinds of things. That's the other really key piece. You know, and generally when you look at the reentry literature, those individuals who have families to come back to, who have those ties and connections, are the ones who do the best. So keeping those connections while they're away and using that transition plan to deal with some of the issues, whether it's lost income, jobs, support, relationships with children, those are key things that have to be addressed, and as Simeon says, restored. Mm-hmm. How can people or businesses or community leaders help you in this work? I would say that they, they can definitely get involved um, by, first of all, just becoming aware and, and participating in some of our events and just showing up, right? And so as we think about just uh, the need for employment, you know, fair chance hiring is very important. And so if employers can look and see, you know, these are valuable individuals, you know, they've made a mistake, they've, they've done their time, right? And now they're coming back. They still have skills. They still have abilities that they can use. And so being open and to changing some of, you know, their rules and, and, and regulations and allowing people with a criminal background to, to still work, maybe not... In not related to anything they, they got in trouble for, but still there's other skills that they have that, that can be utilized. Sure. So just, you know, being out there and, and, and really being visible, showing up at these events and, and welcoming individuals, I think that, that goes a long way. Mm-hmm. You know, one of, the, one of the unusual things today, you know, we live in a very polarized society, and yet it appears that both Democrats and Republicans agree on the importance of reentry. Now, it may be for different reasons. It may be because it's the right thing to do, because people deserve a second chance. It may be because recidivating is expensive economically. It causes harm. It causes damage. Most people who go to prison come out. So it makes good sense to be able to give people support so that they're successful. 
But it is odd that you, that you see both sides of the aisle. There's some agreement about the importance of reentry. And actually, Second Chance Act legislation has been supported by Rob Portman. He was one of the big champions of this type of legislation. So I think that type of agreement sort of helps to try to get some traction, not to continue to stigmatize individuals, but to be able to provide an array of services at different levels, whether it's individual, family, community, governmental levels. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the events that's coming up and um, happens periodically in the area is an expungement job fair. Um, if we could talk a little bit about what expungement is and how that works for some people, people who qualify for that. I think that would be helpful just in terms of um, bringing attention to the programs that are available. So when you, when you think of expungement, most expungements are really the sealing of one's record. Um, and when, when a record is sealed, it's, uh, you know, is if, you know, things have, haven't happened, people can continue now with their lives. So that's an important process. Now there's criteria about who's eligible for expungement, kind of based on um, crime, based on the fact that there aren't any pending charges. So what we encourage is we encourage people to get information about expungement, um, and there's a variety of different sources, um, but Legal Aid is an example of one of, this, one of those sources where you can get information. Right. Um, the Office of Reentry has information about that. <clears throat> the Public Defender's Office has information about that. Um, and there's a lot of benefits to really being able to have your record sealed. Because there's so many collateral dam- so much collateral damage that happens related to housing, related to job, um, related to a variety of different types of things. Mm-hmm. So we really do encourage people to explore this. There are resources out there and guidance for it. Yeah, you don't want to provide false hope if it's something that they're not going to be qualified for. Um, there are second chance law clinics, and um, I know a lot of uh, both at Cleveland State and at Case, um, they have uh, really energetic law students who will take some cases and can really do some good. I'm sure you've celebrated some successes. Absolutely, and I, I would like to mention that um, right now, Office of Reentry has uh, partnered with the. Uh, a public defender's office, as well as a case and case to hold um, continuing legal education forums for the community. So people understand the expungement process. And so some people come to the clinics thinking that it's going to be taken care of that day. And so um, we really try to use this these forums to just educate people what the process is and what the guidelines are around that process, um, allow them to ask questions. And so we've done that in partnership. And so the community can reach out to the Office of Reentry to request this forum to come to their um, specific community. And, and, and a lot of times, interestingly, the request may or may not come from the individual. It may come from a concerned other. Mm-hmm. It may come from oftentimes a family member or a friend who is sort of investigating for that individual. Sure. And the office really encourages that. Okay. And we've got all these great events that are coming for reentry week, and, and we'll be trying to promote those as much as possible. But even into May, you've got some really exciting events coming up. Yes. So Just Leadership USA is the national organization of um, individuals who are justice involved, who are now 
in leadership and really advocating for, you know, returning citizens. And so they're bringing their emerging leadership conference to Cleveland and Akron. Um, and so it's going to be actually here in Cleveland where they'll hold the training at Luther Metropolitan Ministry. And uh, it'll be for two days, May 19th and May 20th, starting at 830 to 5 p.m. both days. And so this is an opportunity for those who are justice involved to come to this leadership training and learn how to really advocate for themselves and, and really, you know, make life better for themselves. So we're excited about that happening. I know this is something that, that you've both devoted yourselves to for, for many years. Dr. Hussey, what, when, when people ask you, why have you devoted so much time to this particular cause um, at the root of it? You know, a, a couple of things. And, and one was just early experiences I had, you know, as a teenager, young adult with, with friends who got in trouble, uh, went the wrong way, um, <clears throat> visiting them in jail, visiting them in prison, those kinds of things, and then watching the struggles they had as they transitioned, and also the supports they had, the things that really helped. So, so in my own life, there was a personal connection in terms of this issue. Professionally, I, I think what's really energized me has been the coalition, has been a passionate group of people that really feel very strongly about trying to improve the lives of returning citizens and kind of bend over backwards to work hard, do different things, try different things, uh, be innovative. Um, and those kinds of collaborations really inspire me. So, so that's kept me going in terms of my work. Simeon? Well, I would say that um, I've been with the county for 19 years now, and I've just entered into the reentry space in the last two years. But I will just say, prior to getting here, I've always wanted to um, help individuals in, in in any kind of way that I could. And so I started out in, uh, you know, in doing eligibility work, um, helping individuals receive, you know, public assistance. And it just kind of evolved. And I got here to this place because I was the voting rights coordinator before coming to this a position as director of the Office of Reentry, but I would go into the jails and to, you know, really educate people about, you know, their rights to, ro to vote. And um, so doing that, and then I got connected into reentry. Now I'm here and I'm still, I'm seeing the impact that, you know, we are having. You know, Dr. Hussey mentioned the coalition. People are coming together to really, really help individuals out. And so this is what I'm all about. I'm all about helping. How can we better someone else's life and, and just make things better for them? And so that's why I'm here. All right. Well, Simeon Best is the director of the Cuyahoga County Office of Reentry. Dr. David Hussey is a clinician, researcher, and teacher at Case Western Reserve University. I thank you both so much thank for this you. enlightening conversation, and I hope we'll be able to do it again soon. Uh, next up, we'll be speaking with a resident who has navigated reentry about the community partners and services that have helped with that journey. You're listening to Let's Talk Cuyahoga. Breaking the Chain is an expungement clinic and job fair, Saturday, April 29th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at John F. Kennedy High School on Miles Avenue in Cleveland. This event provides an opportunity for residents to get their criminal record expunged and be connected to job interviews and community resources. Find out more at cuyahogacounty.us slash podcast. Welcome back to Let's Talk Cuyahoga. We've been discussing Cuyahoga County's role in helping reentrants reach their goal of becoming restored citizens. And joining me now is Vince Evans, an outreach specialist for Cleveland Peacemakers Alliance and the executive director of Community Choices. Welcome, Vince. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for your time. Um, 
I guess just tell me a little bit about yourself. You're a native Clevelander and um, you're involved with uh, organizations that are really doing the work of um, helping people with reentry, but also prevention. We are a gun violence program that's designed to do prevention, intervention, and restoration. What that looks like is both sides of the gun, meaning we work with offenders, perpetuators of violence, as well as victims of violence. We work in the schools, we work in the communities, we work in the courts, and we work in the hospitals. We have offices in both trauma centers. So what this looks like basically is if someone is shot in the city of Cleveland, we'll either respond at the scene or we'll go to the hospital with them. And what happens is when we get there, our goal is to talk to these people and figure out what happened in terms of what can, what can we do to make sure that this doesn't happen again to you, that you don't retaliate? What can we do to help you get into a position where when you leave this hospital, can we get you a job? Do you need housing? Do you need mental health? Do you need drug treatment? What resources can we provide for you right now so that retaliation is not part of the plan? So that this is the last gunshot involving this incident. As well as we talk to the shooters that actually do it when they, when they, when they get incarcerated, when they're coming home. So basically, we just we just want to reduce the gun violence and put a little bit of unity back in the community. That's the ultimate goal. And it's really about choices, isn't it? Um, if, you know, even somebody looks at you the wrong way, if your first impulse is to grab a gun, that's something that needs to be um, addressed. And, and how do you talk to uh, the young people from Cuyahoga County about that when you encounter them? Well, I work in the school, so I'm with them every day, and I work in the, I go into the detention center. And one of the things that I tell them is, despite all the gun laws that's going on, I ask people all the time, why do you need a gun? I have to point out to them, using critical thinking skills, that guns are not bulletproof vests. The majority of people who are shot are shot, especially in Cleveland. A lot of, I'm not going to say the majority, but a lot of the shootings take place, that take place are not, the bullets are not designed for particular people. A lot of innocent bystanders or just people who are close to people are often shot. Guns are not bulletproof vests. That's the emphasis of it. The best way to prevent being shot is to avoid situations that we know are hostile. To avoid people, places, and things that can cause this. If my friends are into things that can get me shot, I need to pick better friends or encourage my friends to do other things. Um, basically, if, like you said, if I get in a situation, I need to learn how to control my anger. I need to learn conflict resolution skills. I need to learn some type of way to walk away from things that have the potential to become violent. A lot of times we don't have these tools. Young people don't have these tools, especially in Cuyahoga County, because between poverty, people who are system impacted, especially system impacted, because amongst young people, it's like a badge of honor to go to jail now. It increases their street credibility, so to speak. But one of the things we want to emphasize is that there's no value in street credibility. The value is in credibility as a man or a woman, a young man and young woman who is responsible. We try to point out to them that it's easier to do four year, four to eight years in college than it is to do 25 life in prison. What's the response? I mean, are, are people open to your message or do you get a lot of pushback? Well, initially... A lot of people will tell me, I don't understand. So when I'm speaking to them, they'll be like, well, you don't understand. You don't know. You don't come from where I come from. And I have to explain to them to them that I actually do. That when I was 17 years old, 
I went to prison for the crime of murder. I took a man's life. I had to go do a sentence. My sentence was actually 15 to life with three years for a gun specification. And I actually did 27 years, four months, three weeks, and two days straight with no break. So I definitely understand. And unfortunately, that improves my credibility because now they know I know what I'm talking about. When I tell you that the reason and one of the questions you ask young people is, why is it important to learn from the mistakes of others? And the answer is quite simple, because you won't live enough. You won't live long enough to make all of those mistakes yourself. Therefore, you have to look around and learn from mistakes of others so you don't make those. You got plenty of mistakes to make on your own. When you look around these communities, especially impoverished communities, it's not even a black, white, Hispanic. It's not a color thing anymore. It's more of these impoverished communities, these system-impacted communities, and an entire culture that between Grand Theft Auto, all of the shooting games, the music that encourages this, the violence that we see, the um, the rage that's going on now, it becomes acceptable. So what I find myself and people in this line of work have to do is we have to outwork all of the various, how can you say it, the various mechanisms in place that are designed to attract the hearts and minds of the young people. I'd love to talk about your process of reentry, your, your, your personal journey. Did your mindset about violence change um, while you were um, incarcerated or was it after? Um, oh, oh after it, you was came out? Hmm? it was during, which you could talk to my uncle. It was during my uncle could tell you I was in Lucasville, which at the time there was no supermax. Lucasville was the end of the line. Um, prior to the riots, during the riots, and afterwards. And I was down there with some of, it was maybe 54,000 prisoners in Ohio, and I was one considered one of the 1,500 worst ones at that point. And I was down there with those guys, and one day we was on the yard and people were talking, and, you know, they had all these stories, and it was all this anger and stuff. And I had to tell them, I excused myself. I said, you know, what I had to accept was that I'm not, I'm not this vicious murderer. I was a scared child who, at 17 years old, I was a scared child who didn't understand how to deal with things other than the violence around me. So I saw a gun as an outlet to face a fear as opposed to finding some other way to face a fear or to get away from a fear. So, yeah, the violence was gone long before I came home. I spent most of my time in prison feeling bad about things and wanting to change, wanting to apologize for what I did, wanting to make amends for it, and most important, wanting to become the man that I wish I would have had in my life when I was 16, 15, when I was making the choices that set the stage for what I call a kill or be killed situation. See, I put myself in that situation. I'm, I'm never going to blame the victim. I made choices that had a grown man pointing a gun at me and had me pointing a gun at a grown man. I made choices that created that situation. And I had to acknowledge that. You said it earlier, it's choices. So now, coming home, I've tried to make better choices. I've thought about the consequences of my actions prior to taking those actions. I've taken the time to take a deep breath and think about things before. So when I came home, my biggest obstacle, actually, I was my biggest obstacle. Because one of the things, I went against all the rules. Job interview. I told him immediately, look, I just came home from prison. I was in prison for murder. I just did this much time. 
And they say you shouldn't do that, but I thought it was important because I don't want to waste your time, nor do I want you to waste mine. You're not going to give me the job. If I'm going to be disqualified from it, I'll work somewhere else. So coming home, I found myself, initially I worked for a temp service. Then I went to Evergreen, which they, they employed me, and that was the laundry. They did the laundry for Cleveland Clinic. And because of my attitude and my willingness to work and my appreciation for my freedom, I was able to quickly excel in there and get a decent job. And I started working with a group of, of gun, I mean, a gang intervention program. And I got noticed by someone who said, hey, what about the peacemakers? They would love for you to come over there. They need this type of work. They do it and you would fit. And when I got there, I developed a whole new skill set and my pay increased to the point where I, was, I had a livable wage. I had a family. I had support. Everyone didn't support me. People were watching me and they were trying to see what was going to happen. I did have a couple of barriers, like with with um, property, getting getting housing. A lot of things had to go with my wife. Business-wise, a lot of things had to go with my wife because, you know, when you deal with, like, home associations and whatnot, block watches, that type of thing, we moved into a somewhat of a decent community. I won't, I won't say an affluent community, but, yeah, we, we moved into a very decent community where they wanted to vet the people coming into their community. I got fined $500 for not having my grass cut. So that can give you an idea <laughs> of, you know, sure. what type of environment I was in. But across the street from me is a police officer. I wrote a book, so I shared my book with him. It was a teacher. People in my community embraced me. They watched me, and then they embraced me, and they gave me a fair chance. And I believe that for a lot of people reentering, if we can get past the stigma of thinking that everybody has it against us and they don't want us to do it, what will happen is there are some people that would love for us to fail, you know, but there are also, also some people who would love to see us succeed. And what we have to do is we have to identify those people. We have to identify those opportunities. If you were to speak to somebody who had, had just gotten out and they just weren't sure what the next steps were, what's your advice? Call me. Call me. I'll take you to lunch. We'll talk about it. And we can talk about some of the challenges that you're facing. We can talk. call me, call somebody like me. Call somebody that you know that has come home and found their way, their space, no matter what it is. It could be a guy who owned a restaurant, a guy who found a career, a guy who became a family guy, a guy who started his own business, whatever. I would encourage them to find someone that they can talk to and then ask them about the challenges, express some of their concerns and their fears, you know, and set up some goals. Vision boards. I always say vision boards. Have an idea where you're going. Make small goals, you know, and, and, and then have what I call an accountability partner and a mentor. I had a mentor. I had a mentor. My my friend, he he owns a restaurant. He owns a transportation company. When I first came home, he took me shopping and he said, look, I'm going to tell you the one secret that, that you can never forget. He said, do not lose your momentum. Everybody comes home that first day, pumps up like I'm about to make life for myself. And as soon as that first obstacle comes and your resilience is tested, a lot of people get discouraged. Or they come home and they have these secret goals and they don't tell anybody. So now they don't have accountability partners. They don't have anybody saying, hey, remember, you're supposed to be doing this. My wife constantly reminded me, you're supposed to be getting ready for this. You Are you writing that book you said you were going to write? Did you fill out that application for that job you said you Have you found somewhere to volunteer at? You said you wanted to do these things. Are you on your way to church? We, I tell people, talk to the people coming home. Talk to people who have come home and found their space. 
and find a way to find your space. Don't be afraid. Like this is the this is natural. Out here, society and this is a, it's a mind state. Society is the place we're supposed to be. Prison is the unnatural place. Don't come home and make your house a prison. You know, don't come home and stay in your room for three weeks because you don't want to venture out. It's a you know you when you in there you couldn't wait to get here. Then when you get here, a lot of times a guy will turn his home into a prison. I tell him go outside, sit on the porch, walk. Do what you can for your self-care. That's the best thing, self-care. Because this can definitely be a culture shock. Especially for those that have done a lot of time. I came home, there were no cell phones. This is like the gestures to me. I'm always <laughs> on speaker. I'm always doing video calls, FaceTiming. People be like, stop FaceTiming. No, this is the gestures. I love this. <laughs> I love this technology, my my vehicle talks to me. <laughs> I can push a button in the house and it starts up. This ain't the old days when you had to go out in the driveway, start it up, warm it up, run back in the house for 10 minutes. Crank down that I window, love- right? <laughs> yeah. I went to McDonald's. I got to hit buttons now. Jackson's, I'm telling you. I don't even go pay it. To, well, I pay it the thing, but this is amazing. I don't carry cash anymore. I have cards. I'm learning about credit. So the thing is to remember that this is the natural part and to embrace it. Because one of the things I tell all my friends that's still incarcerated, and when I go back in, I tell them, I've been home three and a half years. And when I tell you that my, I've had, I hate to say it like this, but I had some good days in prison because I didn't let that place beat me down. I had some terrible days in there too, but I had some great days in there because it was my life and I had to make the most of it. But my worst day out here since I've been home is 10 times better than my best day in there ever was. Vince Evans is an outreach specialist for Cleveland Peacemakers Alliance. You can find out more about their work, the work of the Office of Reentry, and find resources to help navigate the reentry process by visiting cuyahogacounty.us/podcast. Let's Talk Cuyahoga is a podcast that explores Cuyahoga County initiatives and the people who make them happen. It's produced by the Cuyahoga County Multimedia and Communications teams, with special collaboration for this episode from Lester Holmes and Camille Hendricks from the Office of Reentry. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss our next episode. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast or a topic you'd like us to take on in a future episode, please email communications at cuyahogacounty.us. Let's talk Cuyahoga.